Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, this week we're in Mark chapter 5, and so uh, there's a story here. It's probably my favorite story in Mark um, of Jesus' interaction. And so in chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1, read down uh, to verse 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines. And I only want to give you this little nugget here, just this, this touch of, con- of context. Um, the, the, the end of chapter four is the story of Jesus calming the sea. If you're not familiar, Jesus goes out, uh, he and his, uh, his disciples are on a boat they go out, uh, they're cruising across the sea of Galilee. Big storm comes up. Jesus is asleep because, uh, everybody every so often should take a nap. Yes. I mean, God took a nap, yo. I like, we should follow him in this. That's what Sunday afternoons are for. Who's with me? Okay. Fantastic. Be blessed this afternoon. Take a nap. Just tell people. Be in, so he's asleep. They wake him up. Boss, we're going to die. They, and uh, um, he's like, oh, man. Okay, look. Peace be still. The winds and the waves, they, they settle. And the disciples, they have no frame of reference for what has just happened. Because what they, have, they say to themselves, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this who rules over the chaos? And the answer is, he's God. If you've got chaos in your life, i got good news. Jesus is in charge. Chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there, uh, met him a man out of the tombs, um, a man, uh, met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. So he took up residence in a cemetery. Uh, and no one could bind him any more, not even with chains, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was crying out, bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Verse 9, and Jesus asked him, what's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. So you got this group of uh, forces of darkness, this group of demons who are expressing uh, their darkness and their evil agenda through this man. Verse 10, he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. And a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. People came to see uh, what it was that had happened. Verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Anybody ever had God do something so crazy that it scared you a little bit, freaked you out? That's what happened. Verse 16, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. He was getting, and as he was getting into the boat, the man who had uh, been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. But he did not permit him. He said, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. So he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which was kind of the region there, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. It's a good story, isn't it? Man, that's a good story. Uh, I want to just highlight three things here, and we're going to celebrate um, communion together. Uh, out of this story, a couple of things that are worth, worth noting for you and for me. Number one, uh, 
uh, that when you read this story, it's reflective of our world because brokenness is everywhere. Brokenness is everywhere. Um, the, the culture, if you will, in which this story um, takes place is a cemetery. Like, it is the culture of death. It, it is the environment. That's the sphere in which this guy lived and in which um, you and I naturally are bent. Why? Because we live in a world that's broken. We ourselves are broken. We'll talk more about that in just a second. And the result of that is uh, death, destruction, chaos, and all sorts of craziness in our world. This is the setting, okay? Brokenness is everywhere. Let's, let's try to describe this a little bit. Verse 3. He lived among the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he rinsed the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one could subdue him. So uh, my friend Mike and I, Mike was in the early service. Uh, Mike and I, if you, if you read our text message exchange, uh, you would think it was a little weird because you click on the little thing that allows you to see like the pictures and gifts and all that kind of stuff that you send to one another. Um, and uh, ours are u- uniquely odd because we have a running thing. Um, I'll just set this up this way. Here's a picture here, and let's just be grateful to God for this right here. Earlier, Frank had you clapping for things that you were grateful for. Can we, anybody grateful for Oreos in the house? Thank you. Okay. I'm really grateful for Oreos. You get Oreos and milk. In fact, after you take your um, God-ordained nap this afternoon, you should wake up and have some Oreos and milk. Yes? Um, it is America's favorite cookie, as they say. And then uh, somewhere along the way, um, they, they tried to make it even better, whether you're an original guy or um, a double stuff guy. Double stuff people in the room? Anybody love the original more than double stuff? Okay, that's fine. We're not judging. Then, um, then they take double stuff, and they can't triple stuff it. I don't know how much is actually in here, but they make the mega stuff Oreos. So, like, you've gone from this thick to now, you know, like one millimeter thicker, whatever it is. And so if you're the crack the thing open and let, you, you got more cream filling um, that you can do, this is mega stuff. So let's just pause right here for just a second. Everybody gets it, though. That's an Oreo. You got two chocolate wafers. You got the cream stuff in the middle. It's made from milk. And uh, God has blessed us with these things. And the church said, Amen. Amen. These are real Oreos, right? Then they, they throw you the curveball. These are all off the Oreo.com, Oreos.com website. They throw you a curveball. Because there is such a thing in the world as golden Oreos. Anybody golden Oreos over chocolate Oreos? Now, at this point, we are judging you. Because, like... <laughs> and it would be one thing if, if they just stopped there. I mean, you kind of like, oh, that's the weird cousin at the family reunion Oreo. But it gets worse from there. Here's lemon. Anybody? Thank you. A couple of faces were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they would do such a thing. This is not okay, people. It is evidence that the world is broken. And, and again, right off the Oreos.com website, we have, what was next? Oh, caramel coconut. People. No. No, this is not okay, okay? So now we've gone from Oreos, double stuff, mega stuff, and the weird cousin, golden Oreos, to now we're like far, far down whatever family tree Oreo actually has to the place that nobody wants to talk about. Here's carrot cake Oreos. Kind of feeling sick here. And to celebrate Easter, just so we close this out in two weeks... Oreos with peeps inside. Marcy Boyette, I see you out there shaking your head like, ain't no way. Ain't no way. That would never, ever enter my house. No. 
I'm with you on that. So Mike and I, what we do is if we find such an aberration, such a horror, we take a picture and we send it to one another. And so our text chain is filled up with pictures of stupid flavors of Oreos where we're like, this should not be this way. We did not even get to the watermelon flavored Oreos, the Swedish fish flavored Oreos. I mean, who does this to the world? Who unleashes such a thing? And so this is the thing. And somewhere along the way, um, I'm not sure if it was Mike or if it was me, but somewhere along the way, we, we just kind of named this particular aberration of our society and food production in general. We, we just named them Foreos, like faux Oreos, you know what I mean? That, that's kind of our running thing, just Mike and me. It shows you how weird we are, but there we go, Foreos. But because you have Oreos, and you got double stuff, it's still an Oreo. You got mega stuff, still an Oreo. Maybe on a good day when we're feeling uniquely gracious, we can grant you golden Oreos as part of the family tree. The rest of it, man, is out. Foreos. The reason I say that, to make kind of a funny point, goes something like this. There is something that the man was holding on to or trying to experience that you may call one thing, but it's not the real thing. There's something that he was trying to live into and make a part of his life that may have pretended, but it was not Real, And I want to point these two things out to you. Um, again, in the middle of verse 3, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Verse 4, he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. Folks, chains could not bind him, but does anybody think he was actually free? You, you, you couldn't put physical restraint on the man, but does anybody say, that guy's free right there? No, there's a faux kind of freedom, and the, the world offers it. The world says, hey, if you just throw off your restraints, you'll be free. But can we just be clear? This guy threw off his restraints, not free. Not free. You see it in sociological studies. People have done this umpteen times, and they always come out with the same thing. If you build a playground in the middle of a field, you put the kids on it, the kids will basically play on the playground. You build a playground in the middle of a field and then put a fence around it, you know what they do? They play not only on the playground, but all throughout, like the whole thing. They play tag. Why? Because there are boundaries out there that help them to feel safe and secure. This is boring. Nobody trains them. Nobody says, you should go play over there. They just do. They know, I've got freedom now because I know where the boundaries are. There is a faux kind of freedom that the world says, hey, no constraints, that's freedom. And then there's freedom. Secondly, look, look at uh, uh, verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and, listen, bruising himself with stones. Some of your translations may actually have cutting yourself with stones. There's nothing new under the sun. There, there was a faux relief. He could overcome the pain by bruising himself or cutting himself, but what inevitably happened, it came back. And some of us have lived with that, or we know people who have lived with that. They will do something self-destructive to themselves, to their body or whatever, to feel something different than what they've been feeling. But it's not relief. Or they will do something destructive to themselves, to their bodies, whatever, they, they will, just to feel anything at all. But nobody says that's relief. Nobody says that's a cure. 
It always comes back. Brokenness is everywhere. And it's inside of this guy. It's also inside of these herdsmen. Look at verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city, in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. So here's the herdsmen. They see what's going on. The, the pigs, the, the demons go into the pigs. Pigs rush down the thing. And the herdsmen are like, dude, I'm putting this on TikTok. I got to put, like, I have to let people know that this is what um, went down. Um, and, and the herdsmen, their, their version of brokenness goes something like this. Yeah, but what about the pigs? What about the pigs? If you're worried about the pigs, I, I, Jesus uses them as a picture. The picture that he is painting with the destruction of the pigs is, goes like this. Um, look at what the forces of darkness did to the pigs. 2,000 of them. That's what they were doing inside of one guy. Like, you, you want to see, oh, oh, there was chaos and, and, and uh, scrambling and ultimately ends in death. That's exactly the agenda that was at work in this guy. He lived among the tombs. Nobody could bind him. And he was trying to get his, get his relief by banging rocks on him or cutting himself. Um, there, there's a picture of the destruction that the forces of darkness were unleashing on the man. And if people um, misprioritize or don't have clear priorities on this, I, I just want to, uh, like the herdsman here, just highlight a couple of things here. Um, it expresses a poor understanding of creation. Folks, we always ought to go be able to point backward to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 to explain some of the stuff that we experience later. I mean, it just is. God said uh, be, uh, to, to um, man and woman, he said to humanity as a race, uh, you are the crown of creation. You are, the, you are my image bearers. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. You're the ones who are supposed to steward this creation. We're not supposed to blow this place up. We're not supposed to do bad, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, like it's humanity. That's, that's who we are primarily uh, responsible for. So they have a misunderstanding of, of creation, but also they have a misunderstanding of what the problem um, actually is. The brokenness of humanity has created brokenness in the world. And so to, to, if you will, create the kinds of things that we want to see in our societies, in our cultures, in our schools, in our places, you don't fix the place. You fix the people in the place. And you do that through the good news of Jesus. And lastly, I'll just point this to you. Keep, keep reading. Verse 15, they came to Jesus, saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind. They were afraid. Their response was fear. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. Um, in verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. The, the crowd was broken and this this the townspeople were broken and what was their version of brokenness god i would rather have my control and my security than your power at work in my circumstances or your presence here please leave i think i'm doing okay on my own control i've got it figured out uh, my equations are working. A squared and B squared really does equal C squared in my world right now. I've kind of got this thing happening. It's going to be okay. I'm under control. Everything's okay, right? God, don't come in here and mess me up. Security. God, I am choosing safety. I am choosing um, uh, feeling, not really safety, feeling safe over you being at work here in a way that I can't explain or handle. 
or you even being present here. Church family, there are people in our world. There may be people on your row. There may be people in your house. And there may be people in your mirror when you look in it. That might choose control. That might choose security. The the primary value of suburbia. Over God being at work and God being present. And that is a version, an expression, if you will, of brokenness that's in this world. And you don't get anywhere with that until you take responsibility for it. I, I see that there's brokenness. This is my version, but this is brokenness. Second part. Uh, brokenness is everywhere. Second statement. There is no natural solution. No natural solution. So I just want to um, back up to verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him and cried out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you uh, by God, do not torment me. So here we go. Um, Restraint did not work. It it was ineffective. You you go to restrain things. It it didn't work for him. The the change did not work. He couldn't hold it. It's ineffective. Why? Because it doesn't address the problem. It's a spiritual problem. Um, it's the reason new laws don't work, like to change people's hearts. Like they don't, they can't. You have to have something else. Restraint is ineffective, but also we have to see that it's it's deeper than a behavior. Restraint doesn't work because it doesn't address the problem, and and behavior modification doesn't work because that doesn't address the problem either. Hey, I'm just going to keep you from doing this. Nope, ineffective. Uh, uh, hey, if you'll do this instead of this, that is ineffective. The problem is spiritual. So um, here, here's what we have to do. We have to realize, let, our, let ourselves um, realize here that if there's going to be a, a supernatural solution, it has to come from a supernatural source. What we're dealing with is true freedom versus very real bondage. That's, that's the issue. And so what, what does real bondage look like? I can't do what I want to do, or I can't not do what I don't want to do. That's very real bondage versus a kind of freedom that allows us to do what we want to do or allows us not to do uh, what we don't want to do. And some people say, look, man, why even get involved at all? I mean, the guys out there living in the cemetery, if I just stay away from that part of the world, no big problem, right? Not my problem. Hey, pal, you do you. Why not, why not just leave things alone? Because the reality is, in case you didn't know, and listen, in Western society, the kind of water we have swum in for all of these years, um, uh, you know, we value individual liberty. I'm a big fan of individual liberty. That's all true. But there comes a point where you do you affects me. And so we, we do have to address things in our world. And what we need is a supernatural solution to come from a supernatural source. So here we go. Uh, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The demons there are making the play um, to try to uh, back Jesus into a corner. Anybody ever been guilty of that before? Hey God, I know you're going to do exactly what I want you to do, right? How'd that work out? Um, I'll just let you know a little uh, uh, preview for our post-Easter um, 
a sermon series. We're going to work our way through a book, and the title of the series is How to Talk to God When He's Not Doing What You Want. Anybody been there? Verse 8, he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. So this isn't one demon, this is many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. The supernatural source is Jesus. Freedom comes from Jesus, not from uh, um, modifying our behavior, uh, not from uh, simply restraining something in our lives or in somebody else. The supernatural solution, true freedom comes from him. What's the result? Here's the result. Verse uh, 15. They came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there. Now, previously, day and night, he had walked among the tombs. And he finally found some rest. The power and the presence of Jesus in the life of this man the freedom that was expressed, the deliverance that came resulted in the guy finally finding a little bit of rest. He was sitting there. He was clothed. He was appropriately attired for the moment. He had kind of come back in to society. There was, there was a, a place now that he belonged, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. There was something about him that was finally at peace. You want to know the kind of deliverance that Jesus brings. The result of this is a transformed life, a truly transformed life, a place of rest, a place of uh, belonging, and a place where uh, you, you finally have some peace. This is the kind of deliverance that Jesus brought to this man who just like moments ago, I mean like five seconds ago, you hit the little back arrow on your app and it backs you up 10 seconds. You get to that moment. He is all over the place. It's all sorts of crazy. And then you look and you see him. And he's sitting there, clothed and in, in his right mind. He has been truly transformed. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Is this understandable to anybody else? I mean, the guy had just gotten delivered from all these demons. He's like, listen, wherever you go, that's where I want to go. Like, just keep me with you because this seems like a better deal than anything that I've experienced for years and years and years at this point. Uh, in our modern-day parlance, uh, parlance goes something like this. Hey, God, thanks so much for being at work. Can we just get up out of here now? Because this place is nuts. Just take me home right this second. I just want to be with you. Take me. Verse 19, but he did not permit him. There are times, church family, listen. There are times when God won't permit you to do something, one thing that you would prefer to do because he's got something else for you to do. Here's the what else. Did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. You had the life that was really transformed, genuinely transformed, truly transformed, and you had a commission to go tell your story. Go tell your story. And you think to yourself, I mean, this guy, this is exactly what he did. Hey, just go back and tell him how it had mercy. So the guy's like creeping into the cities and he walks in and he's like, uh, aren't you the chain cemetery guy? 
Yeah, actually I was. But the Lord's had mercy on me. So I'm walking around now and I got clothes. I can sit right here. I can be. And I, I'm at peace. I'm in my right mind. How in the world did that happen? Let me tell you. <laughs> and there was a guy. And then there were some pigs. That's kind of how that happened. And he's had mercy on me. He just filled that area with his story. Church family, you and I, we have experienced the truly transforming power of Jesus in our lives. If you are a follower of Jesus, then he has changed you as well. Um, And you get the opportunity to go tell your story because in workplaces and in neighborhoods and ball fields and bleachers and uh, conversations in the front yard and conversations over Oreos and milk or chips and salsa or whatever your favorite snack is or whatever it may be, conversations up the generational chain to parents and uncles and aunts um, and uh, folks older than you, conversations down the generational chain to kids and nieces and nephews, you have the opportunity to go tell your story and how God has had mercy on you. And the, the truth is, the kind of the question, the, the pushback goes something like this. Yeah, but like, I don't have this story. He's already told his story. Jesus doesn't commission you and me to go tell somebody else's story. Jesus commissions you and me to go tell our story. We get to go talk about how God has had mercy on me, how, how he has done work in me, how he has delivered me from self-righteousness and how he has delivered me from a kind of uh, uh, living in a, a religious sphere and hoping that everybody respects me as a result of that. That's kind of my big story right there along with some other parts. But you've got a different story than that. And you step out and you say, oh man, let me just tell you, I woke up this morning, there's new mercy for me because boy, howdy, I needed it. And here is how God has given it to me. You have a different story than this guy had. I have a different story than maybe you have. We are sent not to tell somebody else's story. We're sent to tell our story. And the world is not short on mercy right now. Have you noticed? I mean, we've got judgment. We've got conspiracy. We've got chaos. We've got trouble, problems. But mercy? There's plenty of room for that. Plenty of room for that. And we're going to come to communion in just a moment. And this is the reminder. This is the story. That God has had mercy on you. Listen, your darkness may look different than this guy's darkness. But he's had mercy on you just like he did him. Your darkness may look different than the person who's next to you. But he's had mercy on them just like he's had it on you. We come to the table just like the man came up to Jesus to remind ourselves God is a God who has mercy on people who come to him. This is our story. You've got different sins than this guy had. Jesus has mercy to forgive both. This is our story. This is the story that we get to tell. So I want to invite you, if you've got stuff here and you need to fold it up and put it up, we're going to celebrate communion. And if you have been around over the past, well, longer than a couple of years, I'll say it this way, uh, then, then you kind of know the setup. There's five tables around the room here. And um, at your convenience over the next several minutes, w- when you are ready, you and your family can go and celebrate um, communion together. If you've got somebody around you who looks like they may need some help getting to the elements, pick it up, bring it back to them. That's fine. 
We're not going to be in a rush. We're in no hurry. We will come to the table to remind ourselves that God has mercy on those who come to him. You'll find there these stacked little elements here. The wafer, a reminder of the bread. The body of Jesus that was broken for you and for me. The relationship that we have with God. The wholeness that we can experience with him. Doesn't come because of something that we do. A month that we fast in. Or anything else. It comes because Jesus died. His body was broken for us. And the forgiveness that you and I have experienced. And the mercy that is ours. The the, the mercy that stains the story that we tell. It's not ours because we deserved it. It's ours because Jesus' blood was shed. And we remember that with the cup. This, This is the story about which we are a part and the story that we get to tell. So I'm going to offer a prayer. Anybody who's a follower of Jesus is welcome to participate in communion. I'll offer a prayer for us. Church family, um, we'll go to the tables when you are ready. There'll be music to sing along to. There will be any number of uh, other ways that you can worship. Let's pray. So Father, we're here now and uh, we ask simply that you would Uh, Make this story fresh for us. A fresh kind of mercy. A story that we've reminded ourselves of, that we've told ourselves, that we've done over and over again. But God, in this moment, would it be fresh for us because we want our worship uh, to be fresh. We want our worship to be authentic. We want our worship to honor you in this way. And God, if we were to write our stories... We wouldn't necessarily write it the way that it's gone, but it's our story. What's true of the man, what's true of the people down the road from us, what's true of us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, which we once lived. Following the course of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, indulging the desires of of the flesh and of the vine, our nature, by nature, children of wrath, but God, being rich in mercy. That's our story. So we come to the table to remember that. Be honored by what happens here. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen.